matter and the craft matters and being able to prove to St. Louis that, you know what, like we are worth it and putting in that extra extra 10%, whether it's the, the details and the material selections in stadium or it's a button on an app, like we think about those details because they do matter. And I do think we have to work harder to convince St. Louis that we deserve nice things and it's okay to celebrate them. Welcome to a new edition of the City Voice podcast. I am joined by a very special guest as ever. This time it's front office chief experience officer, Matt Seebeck. Matt, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thanks for having me, Pete. You're doing a hell of a job here, by the way. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. It's been a long time coming yeah. to have you on the podcast. Um, last time we spoke, it was about fan experience in the stadium, but a very specific reason. Today, yeah. we want to talk more broadly um, about your role I want to get under the skin of like how you pick up a role like this because chief experience officer is quite a, a new job title in, yeah. in the sort of sporting world. And I want to talk about the future, um, what's going well, um, what can fans expect moving forward. Um, and yeah, we can go from there. But before we get into that, Matt, there is a very important set of questions that I have to ask you. <laughs> this is the fun time section. Okay. Serious answers only. Tea or coffee? Uh, coffee. I'm a coffee snob. Grinder, Aeropress, it's a whole scene. <laughs> Which soccer team do you support that is not St. Louis City SC? <laughs> We're going to do this this early. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur, Pete. Does that make you proud? It does. Very, very much so. Good. Uh, favorite productivity app? Uh, I'm big into Notion. No taking app, sharing app, collaborative app. Love it. Notion, Slack. Most listened to artist of 2023. Man, I haven't been in music. I'm mostly podcasts lately. It's probably probably Muse. Probably that Muse. Muse, song. Phoenix. Yeah. Actually, I've been on a bit of a 90s alt rock kick lately. Okay. Uh, secret skill people do not know about. I don't know if you know this, Pete. I can ride a unicycle. You can really? Yeah. That is new. That's <laughs> what this podcast is about. That's Breaking right. exclusive news. <laughs> uh, cat or dog? Dog. Cheat day meal. Balkan treat box. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> experienced I, it almost work. doesn't feel like cheating. It's so no. beautiful and delicious. Uh, running or cycling? Running. Love to run. Who's the fastest runner at the club that isn't uh, in the sporting department? Uh, Jason Tyne. Favorite possession that is also a flex? Also a flex. Um, the first city red jersey that Adidas sent us, I have. You've got that. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Best player you've ever seen that is not Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo? Uh, this is like against, live, on TV. Live, like in, in the flesh. Uh, Ibrahimovic, with, Ibrahimovic with the Galaxy. That's fun, a good fun to watch. One. Okay, cool. Right, let's, uh, let's move into the meat of the, of the podcast. Matt, your job title was Chief Experience Officer. Um, there aren't many chief experience officers. I don't think there's a single chief experience officer in MLS. There's not many in sport, I don't think. No. Uh, can you explain what that is? So it's definitely, you know, it's definitely new. Uh, origins are in consumer retail and restaurant, you know, big brands, Disney, Lululemon, Facebook, they all have chief experience officers. And really the job is to say um, that we're going to put um, our customer, in our case, our fans, uh, front and center of everything that we do. So we're going to measure their entire journey, uh, whether they're you know inside City Park here or outside engaging with us in retail stores, on social. Um, so it's really to you know put that front and center um, you know, day one at the club. 
So what, what departments fold under uh, an experience department? I mean, historically, it had been, you know, marketing and technology uh, for those that work in other businesses. Those two departments, you know, they have different incentives. They speak different languages. So functionally, those are the big buckets for for us as a club. Um, you think of the entire fan journey uh, for city fans. Um, it is, you know, our content and creative headed by, you know, a, a British lad with really fun hair um, does a marvelous job at our internal agency. So every single piece of content and creative you see put up by the club is done by our internal agency of videographers, copywriters, graphic designers. So um, that's a, a big and very formidable part of the experience team. Um, alongside that, you also have um, kind of core marketing, uh, supporter relations as a part of that, since our supporter is a big part of the experience. You have our digital team, um, that uh, is in charge of our homegrown app and our websites, social accounts. You have uh, retail, um, so managing every single piece of merchandise and our collaborations that we're doing um, with our partners, uh, our two team stores. You have uh, live experience, um, so the live experience inside City Park um, is very choreographed, especially the pregame show, and but also the music and the food experience inside the stadium. And then finally, we have uh, technology. So the things that fans often don't see, it's the wireless connectivity, it's the video boards, um, even on the food side, all the technology that goes into that. So again, the goal, th those departments seem, uh, you know, they all have their own. It seems like quite a very, yeah. it's not just all creative people, it's not all technology people. How does that, um, what are the benefits of them all sitting under an experience group. The the benefit is that, you know, we work in such an efficient way. Ultimately, no if a fan's discovering us on, you know, social feeds or in the stadium, um, they care about the consistency, uh, the excellence. And so we get to say, let's eliminate all the silos between those those teams, put them together. And I think the 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 output is very magical. I think the 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 multiplier for us is when these groups work together to create outcomes, and it's been a, it's pretty been pretty remarkable thus far. The club has been, um, you know, funded by the Taylor family. Taylor family, one of the most successful business families in American history. They have like very strong core values and principles. Um, is there a correlation between? how they've got their success and how City has tried to build its success. Like, are there any value crossovers there? Yeah, 100%. I mean, even just on day one of designing a, a club that, you know, cares so deeply about experience. Um, I think, you know, the Taylor family uh, has, you know, such a remarkable business in Enterprise Rent-A-Car and putting, you know, their customer at the center of what they do. And, you know, they're known for great service and they measure it with NPS scores and always trying to, you know, improve and innovate along the way. So I think, you know, we take a lot of those principles from the Taylor family and the enterprise business and have folded them into a, a sports organization. It's pretty, pretty unique. There's, um, Lots of really cool things that happen at City Park. And I'm obviously going to uh, big up my colleagues. Like I work in the experience department, but there's a lot of talent in there. And a lot of that talent comes from St. Louis. Is that is that by design? And um, would that is that a surprise to the people of St. Louis that you, there is so much world-class talent in this city? And when you bring it together, it creates something magic. Yeah, I think, I think so. I mean, there is um, an immense amount of, of talent here. And I think, again, the... 
the thing that has been the commonality between whether it's all those departments, all the people at the club is whether they're from St. Louis or not, whether they've uh, been in sport or not, whether they love soccer or not, they are all united by this cause that started with our ownership group about this club um, is not only about great competitive football, but it's about uplifting the region. And I think everybody at the club is committed to that mission. And um, it's, it's just, it's great to see. And the amount of talent, whether it's creative talent, technology talent that we've been able to attract to this club is un- unprecedented. We had Lee Broughton on the podcast and he spoke about like the great mission of the club and how we're trying to create an opinion of St. Louis from outside um, do you think uh, the the way that the club is operating at the moment and the conversations that you have with other clubs in the league, do you think the, the talent that we have as St. Louis is creating an opinion outside of St. Louis that maybe wasn't there before? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's creating an opinion inside St. Louis. I think, you know, St. Louis has had its ups and downs, the, you know, at least the decades that I've been alive. And um, I think the idea that uh, that we can look in the mirror and be proud about ourselves. I think it starts here in St. Louis, um, and then we'll start to care about the opinion outside St. Louis. But I think you know the thing that we care about at City Park is you know we don't really control uh, at all the the result on the field. But if we can build pride and a positive experience outside the white lines, then we're doing a pretty good job. And we are early days in the project. You've got a lot of experience working in lots of different businesses. Um, for a startup where we are right now, do you do you feel pleased with how things are going on your bits and more broadly, like the club as a whole? Did, has it lived up to what you thought it was going to be? Yeah, I mean, even, you know, the, the last conversation that we had about, you know, we we measure uh, everything we possibly can. Uh, if we can't if we don't measure, we can't improve. One of the things we've been fascinated about is, you know, how do our survey scores compare uh, win, loss, or draw here at City Park, and it's pretty remarkable. It, it's it's remained consistent, um, and that's exactly what we want to see. So if we're you know if we're bringing smiles into the park and smiles out of the park, independent of result, that's exactly what we want to see. So that's how we've come. You know, food, music, art, architecture, all those things. I think just make people feel good about the you know the region that they're in. The fact that the team has been competitive alongside of that has been a bit of lightning in a bottle the first six months here. So you are some St. Louis born and raised, like tell us a little bit about like, you know, where you grew up and what your experience of the city was uh, as a young person. Yeah. I'm, you know, born and raised and uh, grew up in, in South County, Missouri. Um, So uh, I've always, always been from here. Um, Went to school at university of Evansville um, played soccer there, met my wife at Evansville, but she also happened to be from St. Louis. So moving back here and raising a family here was uh, a no-brainer for us. Both our families are from here. So love St. Louis and born and raised. How did your relationship with soccer start? Knowing that this is a soccer city, but did someone from the family uh, like pull you in? Like, How did that happen? Yeah, my, my dad had played soccer. Uh, my grandpa played soccer. And as people in St. Louis know, it's just it's kind of in, in our DNA here. Um, there's a lot of youth programs here in St. Louis. So playing soccer is, is kind of what you, what you do. Um, we have great collegiate programs here. So, um, yeah, I was, I, you know, I was attracted to soccer and, uh, baseball is my other sport. So I kind of floated between those all the way through high school. What position did you play at soccer? Uh, like center defensive mid. So like a number six. What sort of number six were you? Dirty. 
Yeah. Yeah. Dirt c- could run all day, clean things up. Um, usually, you know, did a lot of man marking when I played in college. Um, just try to take out, you know, their number 10. So just, I, I love being box to box midfielder. Do you ever get tempted to put the boots back on? <laughs> all the time. Every Sunday, Pete. I've seen your ankles when you come in <laughs> after right. putting those boots back on. Maybe not a good <laughs> idea. Um, I work with you every day and I know that um, you've got a deep, deep love for this city and this region. Can you explain um, a little bit about that and how that drives you as a person every day? I just, I, I think there are, you know, we have challenges like any city does, but if you kind of pull back a little bit, um, th- the beauty of this region is unparalleled and it's a great place to raise a family. It's affordable, um, public parks, the things to do with kids as a family um, are amazing. The food is absolutely incredible. That dates back to kind of our history as um, you know a founding city and a place where immigrants wanted to be because of the rivers and the trains and you have these pockets and communities and um, it's just a it's a remarkable city and you know to tie it back to the club we just we we just wanted to focus on all of those positive elements here at City Park to be a bit of a town square where you could come to a single place and feel all the good that's going on in the region. And that really is, that, that drove a lot of the mission of, of what we're trying to put on on game day. So growing up, your job title didn't exist. What was, uh, what was your sort of life ambition? Where, what, what did you want to be when you... Like, oh you know, man, I mean, I, I wanted to be a professional athlete. I just, I love the, you know, the stage and, and kind of the theatrics of being the, the, the focus of, a, of attention. Um, if that wasn't a soccer player, it was, you know, I wanted to be a shortstop for the Cardinals. Um, loved Ozzy Smith. He was one of my heroes growing up. Um, from that, you know, in college, I, I really, you know, with the influence of, of technology and storytelling and the fusion of, of art and creative, I, I wanted to work for Pixar. I, want, I wanted to be like on the leading edge of storytelling and, and how technology was kind of, kind of underneath all that. So you came out of college. Um, what sort of jobs did you take in your early years? Uh, so I graduated with with a joint degree in computer science and marketing, which was was really weird. It's an odd combo. It is, yeah. And I uh, out of college uh, got a job at AT and T, uh, which is right down the street here, yeah. from from City Park, and found a really unique position, which was um, developing uh, Singular dot com. So Singular was early days in mobile phones and smartphones, and but if you think of AT and T, they were coming from traditional world of yellow page advertisements and now they're moving into the world of e-commerce so really was this fusion of marketing and technology and how to you know direct to consumer through e-commerce and it was um such an amazing learning opportunity to to kind of build that website and to move from traditional advertising to new media and just kind of everything wrapped up in my early career and you see the evolutions of that today so you did some, you had some consultancy roles, some technical roles. Um, you ended up working for Worldwide Technology. Um, Jim Cavanaugh, one of our owners, worked for um, his company, um, working with some of the biggest brands in the world. Talk to me about that role, because that was uh, the, the cutting edge, some of the things that you were doing, right? Yeah. So at Worldwide Technology led digital for them. Um, so app development, business consulting, data and analytics, and we really found a niche working with fast-moving consumer brands, uh, Panera, Papa John's, Jersey Mike's, Nordstrom. And these were, over the last 10 years, businesses that were really committing to innovation. And we would come in, and I would spend six months with these brands, really as their 
chief digital officer sitting between marketing and technology, helping them design their loyalty programs, their, you know, in-store activations through apps and digital menu boards, self-service kiosks. So um, that food industry, I think we're really on the leading edge of the digital to physical crossovers. Um, so spending the last 10 years of my career, um, you know, tons of lessons learned of how we then build City Park a couple years later. So you start to pull the threads of your career, like you're converting uh, yellow pages into dot coms, then you're at like extremely fast brands. I mean, pizza delivery is like unbelievably quick. You need to be reliable, like there's e-commerce elements. Did you ever think the the skills that you were learning would be applicable to sport? Because I don't think your background naturally equates to sport, certainly not like 10 years ago, right? Yeah, and a lot of people on the business side or front office of sport, you know, they they come out of college and they know, I, you know, I, this is what I want to do. I want to be in sport and, you know, you move from team to team, the league, the league. And I never, you know, while being a, a huge sport fan, never had an ambition to, to work in sport. Um, so that wasn't a natural progression for me, but um, it is really, it's, it's neat to kind of look back and see how the stepping stones of the experience that I had um, to be able to bring that into an industry like sports that, you know, through COVID and the global pandemic, I think things are changing in sports and it's, it's a model that needs to be, you know, turned upside down a little bit. So having that experience and bringing it into a new project like this, I think was right place, right time. So Diego, our club president, also had a background in consulting like you. What does that background give you that seems to work well in sport? What's the, what's the special source there? Yeah, um, you, you, we've talked a little bit about that with, with Diego. It's, um, there's a lot of research involved in consulting. So understanding what not only your competitors, but cross industry, what are ideas we can borrow from? The other part is just, I think, having a bias for solving problems. It is understanding, you know, what needs to be done and rolling up your sleeves and, and doing those things. Um, the, the kind of the reciprocal effect is like everything has to have an ROI. So as a consultant, as you're pitching businesses or selling them on ideas, you know, what is the return on investment? Um, like that's a critical part of our job every single day. And I think I got really good at it being a consultant, you know, working from the outside in at, at a lot of these businesses. There are um, two companies that I know have inspired the way that you've thought um, about things, and that's Apple and Bridgewater. You've got intimate knowledge like Apple. Like, hey, everybody knows who Apple is if you're <laughs> watching this and listening to this on your podcast. Check where your phone is. Um, but Bridgewater, people may not know about. Um, Ray Dalio has written a book called uh, Principles. Um, it's a big hedge fund company, one of the most successful hedge funds of, of all time. Um, you worked with those companies. Um, what did you learn from those companies that really s stuck with you about how to make a successful department business club? I mean, let's, let's start with Apple. A Apple, you know, working with all the brands I had mentioned before, uh, Papa John's, Panera, Jersey Mike's, um, you know, we had, we had the ability to, to really get into the Apple ecosystem and work on a couple early launches with Apple so that these companies could be early adopters, tons of media opportunities. So um, got to work with Apple on the launch of the iPhone 6, Apple TV and watch OS with the Apple Watch. Um, so it was really fun, um, you know, working with them to see the amount of detail and care that they put into their entire ecosystem. I think that is something that early in my career, like just really stuck with me about 
you know, that care and attention are, are emotions that you feel. And as you enter the, the physical space, that's where user experience and design are so important. And the emphasis that they put into packaging and all those little elements that show if you take care of the small stuff, you'll trust them with the big stuff. And I think that is, a, you know, certainly principles that have folded into the club. Do you think sometimes uh, people say don't, don't care too much about <laughs> people do? Don't, don't, it's only a job. But when you were in Apple, it's more than a job for these people. Like you think care, care is an emotion and an emotion can directly impact craft. Yeah, that's right. And they undoubtedly care about their craft. And I think it is that, that principle that if you, if, you, if you care about the small stuff, you can build that emotional connection with your consumers. And I think they do it better than anyone. Bridgewater, uh, very different company. Um, you know, in Connecticut, the hedge fund, they're in charge of, you know, managing billions of dollars of assets for people. And, um, you know, they're led by Ray Dalio, as you said. And, and the formation of their business is, is studying human behavior. And if you can study humans and predict where they're going to go, um, you'll have an edge over your competitors over how the economy is going to act. And um, they treat their own internal employees and their own culture is guided by a set of principles. And that is Ray Dalio's now famous book that was released a couple years ago. And what principles are, are really just a way to write down, um, you know, little tips and tricks along your journey that you can learn from. And everybody has their own sets of principles. Bridgewater has their own, every company has their own, but it's, it's the documentation of that so that if you, uh, uh, are in financial trading, you don't want to repeat the sins of your past. And so by creating almost like tips and tricks and guardrails for you to act in, um, you're going to be better, smarter um, into the future. So um, I think it's incredibly important for us because as we journey into a new space and we want to be a club that is innovative and different and new, that, um, that we you know, ultimately have a set of truths that we can all agree upon, whether you work in content and creative or special events or ticketing. And so really kind of having that be the basis of a lot of our culture, I think is really important. Are there any um, of those truths <laughs> that you could share with the listeners that you think are really important to how this club operates? There's a, there's a Bridgewater principle that we talk about a lot at the club, which is uh, pain plus reflection equals progress. And at a very simple level, this is, you know, every single match, we have 22,500 people in our building and um, they're filling out surveys. We're getting data. And for us, you know, we have a game on Saturday night and on Monday morning, we're looking through those surveys and the data to get smarter and better. And sometimes that data is hard to see or it's unexpected. How fans act versus how they said they are going to act can be very different. So being very truthful and honest about those things, we can grow as a club and evolve. And I think, you know, six months into our first season, we've made a ton of improvements because of that principle of just let's let's uh, we can have hard conversation. We reflect on that and then we talk about what we can do better. That's really interesting. Um, you've spoken a bit about the, the technical side of things, but there's also Matt, the fan, uh, <laughs> like you love sport. It would be remiss of me not to talk about uh, your stint as uh, that Cardinals guy, as <laughs> you know, some of my friends are like, oh, that's Matt Sivek. He was yeah. the Cardinals guy. Like you were a, a bit of a super fan um, back in the day. Um, do you think that uh, having that account, talking about the Cardinals relentlessly, do you think that that sort of gave you a, a deeper understanding of 
how the internet moves and how fan sentiment moves? Does that give you a, like, makes you more alert to things that are going on in the club and you're like, fans are not going to like that, so let's pivot and let's yeah. do something different. No doubt, yeah. And, and kind of like that, the, the born on the internet culture and how fans respond in stadium versus out of stadium and what things are likely to be shared or be buzzworthy. Um, yeah, I think all of those things. And I, I think, you know, talking about St. Louis as a whole, like, uh, St. Louis loves St. Louis and, and the idea that, um, when you, when you create campaigns that allow St. Louisans to celebrate the things that are going on well here, um, I think it, it creates a real, um, a real flywheel of success. Very cool. Okay. Let's talk about St. Louis city SC. You're obviously a huge soccer fan, very tuned in to what's going on in St. Louis. Um, there was a failed MLS bid, but then one succeeded. Uh, what was your uh, were your spidey senses alert to there's a soccer club in town I've got all of this technical experience uh, I love sport I would like to get in on this like were you thinking about that or were you knowing it uh, a bit I mean it, it, you know again kind of right place right time um, of the the clients I was working with at worldwide technology enterprise was was one of them so I had kind of understood uh, the family and, you know, when they got involved and of course, Jim Cavanaugh at the worldwide side, um, uh, we, uh, as a company started to do some outside in consulting for, for the family and, and ultimately MLS for the Lou, as it was called and started to do some research, um, around leagues, around businesses on, you know, what are the successes and failures of other organizations? Um, what has been the effect of the global pandemic? And so we were putting this all together and this idea for, an experience officer came up and I was, you know, writing the job description um, for this. And that's when it kind of like clicked me that I, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to have season tickets here. Uh, I'm going to be a super fan of the club. I don't know that I could stomach watching somebody else do the job that I wrote the job description for. So that's when I raised my hand um, and uh, ultimately pivoted careers uh, about 180 degrees, got into sport, but um, it uh, is all worked out. It's been everything I, I'd hoped for and more. So one of my questions was, uh, uh, like, how did you find the job? Seems like quite a specialized. Ask. It turns out you wrote the job spec for yourself, <laughs> and then decided that you would take the job. I, I didn't know I was writing it for myself, Pete. Was there was there a fear? I mean, like, Worldwide Technology is a huge billion dollar company, and you know, you're doing good work there. Moving into sport, there's yeah. there's always the risk of like, you know don't never meet your heroes it might not be as good as you think it could be was there did you have any of those trepidations like my career's on track I've got kids I got a mortgage like all of those bits did that sort of swirl around in your head yeah it did absolutely and uh you know I was I, I remember the conversation I was having with my you know now not he's now 12, 12 years old he was nine at the time uh talking to my son and some of it's just like think like a kid like if I was nine uh, is this my dream job? And I was talking to him and I was mentioning all the things that this job would entail. And, and he's a soccer fan himself. And, you know, he, he didn't, he didn't instinctively say, Oh, it's great. We get to go to the games for free. It was more of, Hey dad, like, I, I think you'd be perfect for that job, you know? And so that's that, sweet. That was, that was the moment for me that was like this, forget the fears and trepidations. Like I, I needed to take this opportunity. So you start the club. There's nothing here. This is just a pile of rubble, probably not even a pile of rubble that needed to clear uh, some things to get to a pile of rubble. Um, you've got no team. 
there's you know there's a there's a loose vision you've got to put something down on paper like where do you start well you know i mentioned a lot of it started with research and i think that um really the relationship that a lot of clubs have with their fans is fundamentally broken um it's it's very transactional and uh fragmented there's too many partners there's uh, bad technology, uh, not enough data to serve up personalized experiences. So for us, it was, we knew we wanted to create relationships with our fans that were deeper than that. So that meant investing in technologies where we could control the user experience. Um, and that is from the stadium to the app, to our social feeds, to the content that we create. So I think ultimately you see the pieces and parts that make up of that. But we knew from day one, we wanted to create something that created deep relationships, um, not transactional ones. St. Louis has uh, Cardinals fans, a lot of Cardinals fans, like 3 million people go through the gate every year. Uh, huge uh, hockey fandom, uh, football fandom. Uh, like St. Louis loves sport. There's 3 million people in the, in the region. How do you work out who is a City fan or a potential City fan? Like, I know that there's you know, a lot of soccer fans here, but like you got to go broader than just soccer, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we did, you know, an immense amount of, of, you know, fan surveys and focus groups and to try to really crack that nut early on in the development of the club. And what we found is there are a lot of uh, magnets that we have invested into beyond the game of soccer. The soccer fans are here. We know they're here. Um, but it was, you know, how do we use, um, again, food? Uh, pets, music, art, architecture, all of these things that are tangentially related to sport. But if we can suck people in um, through other means and, and then convert them to a soccer fan, um, we knew we'd be doing a good job. We're building a beautiful stadium, have plenty of pictures. We knew the World Cup was the winner before our inaugural season. So we had kind of everything lined up to our advantage. We just needed that magnet to bring people into the fold. There's been a, you know, when I landed here, and spoke to fans, there's been a, a lot of um, missteps, there's been a lot of disappointments, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of clubs over the years. Um, how, do you, how, did the, how did you go about addressing concerns that this would just be another, you know, another disappointment or a, another, another heartbreak? You know, I think existing in the wake of the Rams and Stan Kroenke moving the team, um, the fact that we are, you know, a hundred percent local ownership group, hundred percent privately financed. Those were probably the most extreme ways to combat something that was very hard to go through. So, um, the fact that, you know, the Taylors and the Kavanaugh are involved and publicly available at the stadium, you can see them. I just think there's a real, um, authenticity that our fans see in the ownership group where, all right, this is something we can finally, um, we can step into believe and invest in because it's not going anywhere. I think that means everything. What was, um, what was the, uh, the tactical approach to convert in doubt into positivity? I mean, obviously the Taylor family and the Kavanaugh's huge they they live here do you have to sort of like get on the road and go and meet people where they're at in their different bars and places did you do that yeah and I, I think it's again back to the you know your question about apple pete is is the details matter 
and the craft matters and being able to prove to St. Louis that, you know what, like we are worth it and putting in that extra, extra 10%, whether it's the, the details and the material selections in stadium, or it's a button on an app. Like we think about those details because they do matter. And I do think we have to work harder to convince St. Louis that we deserve nice things and it's okay to celebrate them. There are a lot of super fans in St. Louis. I've met a lot of them well before the, you know, the club was what it is um, today. What about the non-super fans? Like how, um, how, mm. how did the club go about um, introducing soccer to people that maybe hadn't gone? I mean, you know, I meet people in the ground every single week and they're like, I didn't know anything about soccer before <laughs> St. Louis City and I'm here now and I love it. Um, how do you get those people enthusiastic enough to put money down on season tickets to buy single game tickets and to come here not just come here sit down and watch the game come here and and get involved and sing and be a a part of the the club yeah I mean as you said like I I think the the kind of the soccer purist is actually a small percentage of our fan base I think the other part are just people that hear the messages of of positivity and our belief in the region that um, you know what, like our, our best days are not behind us. We are future focused. I think there's a large percentage of our fan base that has been brought into that funnel because they're like, hell yeah, that's something that I want to stand behind. Um, so we continue to do those sorts of things. You know, on, on the soccer side, though, it is, you know, our city futures program, um, you know, great for the community, eliminates pay to play barriers for people, exposes people to the game, um, brings their parents along for the ride as well. Um, we have fan focus groups. Our city moves workshops um, have focus in a lot of different communities, um, allow them to provide input back to the club so that that communication is, is a two way street. Um, so we have a lot of um, mechanisms in place to say, you know what, every game at City Park is going to be sold out. And that's great. How do we continue to build that? you know, top of funnel and exposure of the club so that, you know, we're hopefully, you know, building a fan base that's going to be here 20, 30, 100 years down the road. It also seems like there's something just special about the region. St. Louis City shows up for St. Louis City. I mean, is that is it? it are do you feel blessed to have um, that sort of mentality in the region? Because like these fans are crazy. I mean, they'll they'll, they'll show up after a uh, after a tornado warning. It doesn't matter whether it's raining, whether they're cold. They show up and they're relentless. Like, did did you expect that? I mean, you obviously know the region. I don't, so it's more of a surprise to me. But did you expect the level of passion that these fans are showing every week? Uh, expected, but it's definitely exceeded it. You know, and I think we wanted to create something that um, beyond the ninety minutes was the best party in town. And the idea that fans showing up, you know, an hour, two hours early to a game has become part of the city park ritual. Them staying an hour after game in Ultra Club is again part of that game day experience. Um, fu- funny enough, you know, as, as uh, we have visiting teams come in and, you know, we usually go by and say hi to the visiting supporter section, welcome them to St. Louis. It's very Midwest hospitality, Pete. And um, the Portland game, game time was at 7.30 Saturday night. We went by um, at 6.55, stadium's full, and the Portland fans said, uh, does the game start at 7.30 or does it start at 7.00? And like, no, it starts at 7.30. And they were so confused why the whole stadium was full. So it's little things like that. Fans turning up early just shows not only the passion during the 90 minutes, but how they want to make a whole day out of it. Like we can't keep them away. So I want to talk about the technology side of your brain. Um, 
why did you think building an app 18 months before anything kicked <laughs> off was one of the most important things? Like the apps are notoriously difficult to build. They're even harder to get people to engage with. But you saw that as an absolute priority. Why? Um, it was a, a bit of, of, of short-term and long-term planning at the same time. I think apps are misused and underutilized in sport. Um, app is a way for us early before games to create relationships with our fans. So um, 18 months before games, we have you know ways for fans to sign up in the app. Um, they can personalize it. They can unlock badges, have fun with it. They can get behind the scenes info. So we're building a relationship with them. And But the short term was bring them into the fold. Uh, but the long term was we knew that if we had their trust, that they would enter the stadium as a mobile first venue and we could really push the lever on things like mobile order ahead and these frictionless markets and personalized itineraries. So we knew long term that's where we wanted to go because it would make game day better, more personalized. We would, you know, shorten lines and queues. So. Uh, we knew where we wanted to go long term, but but short term, we had to kind of jump that first hurdle of gaining people's trust. So that was the goal of releasing the app so early. So the easiest thing to do, there are lots of off the shelf options that clubs all over the world use. You didn't do that. Um, why didn't you take an off the shelf option? Just get it done and dusted nice and quick, save some money. Back to Apple. We wanted to We wanted to control our destiny, the user experience. So a lot of the reasons why uh, sports apps don't have the trust is because it feels white labeled. It feels like every other sports app you've used. So we wanted um, to really define our craft of our app. We wanted it to be undeniably city. And um, that meant, you know, building it from the ground up. Um, it also means that we get to innovate like crazy on this. So instead of releasing a, a new version you know, once a year that's marginally better than last year, you know, we're releasing little versions every single month that are based on the input from our fans. Steve Jobs uh, once famously said, um, customers don't know what they want until you give it to them. You didn't operate that way with the app. You engaged fans quite early on. Um, what was that process like um, asking fans to dream big and like, how, how, you know, do, do you enjoy that side of, of the business getting out there, bringing people down, buying them some beers? Yeah. Oh my God. Love it. I mean, as much research as, that we did and, you know, we really looked, you know, in sport, but also cross industry, we borrowed design patterns from Airbnb, TikTok, Instagram, Spotify. Um, but again, like us as, as the, the club, um, we can have a perspective, but ultimately our fans are going, going to be the ones using it. So um, we set up fan experience councils two years before the stadium opened and app was a big focus. And, you know, we put features in front of them. Um, we would put wireframes and designs in front of them um, to give us feedback. We asked them what they wanted. We prioritized those ideas and our roadmap. So um, when we then ultimately launch something like our app, it feels like something that you know, we as a whole with our fans, you know, created together, which is pretty cool. Um, this is kind of could be app focused, but also more broadly, like technology focused. The pandemic turbocharged a lot of technologies. And if you'd ask somebody three years before the pandemic, what were going to be the hot technologies in three years time, they'd all been completely wrong. Yeah. Um, when you're building an app, you're building with a five year view. How do you decide what's going to be relevant by the time the app is finished? And how did you go about predicting what technologies would be needed in a new stadium? 
It's tough. It's tough, especially, you know, with, with the, the global pandemic, um, kind of in the middle of all that, um, things like, you know, digital ticketing, mobile order ahead. We're not the first to do those things, but the, the adoption was so low. And so when things external like a pandemic happen, these things can be greatly accelerated. So we're always keeping our eye on, you know, moving trends like that and looking cross industry on things we might want to borrow. So, um, whether it's, you know, uh, open AI or metaverse or blockchain, like we're always having those conversations. And I think the, the great thing is because we, we own the front door of our technology, we can pivot pretty quickly based on, you know, what our fans want or how the market's moving. Well, we're 18 months in to the app being about there or thereabouts. Um, what's worked? Oh, I think, you know, in stadium, um, the app is an unlock for speed and personalization. It's exactly what we wanted, you know, three years ago when we dreamed this up. Um, we have over 70% of our fans uh, in inside City Park on game day are, are inside our app. So people are using it uh, for tickets, to order food, um, you know, to, you know, f- look at stadium maps and figure out where they're at or where they want to go. Um, I think our user base has been the, the greatest surprise is we knew it was going to be a tool on game day to operate in and around city park. Um, but our user base is five times the size of city park. So it's, 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 again, if you don't have a ticket, it's still a key to get behind the scenes to learn about the club. And, um, that's been really, really fun to see is it's almost, it's, it's, it's an avenue into city, whether you're inside the park or not. So what are the things the fans can potentially look forward to next season? Like, are there any things that you're developing right now or are we kind of good? Yeah. I mean, we use this year as, um, you know, how do we have a, um, kind of a core set of features that allow you to get in and outside of city park, city park in a quick way. Now we're going to turbocharge it. We really want to separate ourselves from the competition on the app side. So we're going to lean into, you know, more badges, more incentives, uh, our loyalty program is going to take off next year. We're going to focus on more uh, mobile wallet, personalized offers. So there is a lot coming in the City app. That's really exciting. Um, you did mention uh, new technologies just in the last <laughs> two years. We've been told that we're all going to be living in a metaverse. <laughs> We've been speaking about VR forever, um, crypto, NFTs, uh, NFT loyalty programs, AI. Um, which tools or technologies have got you most excited about you know with regards to sport like what where where could we see things going in the future um i i like i like the potential benefits of of ai and things like chat gpt i think it can um you think about customer service um or questions the you know 22,000 people have a lot of different questions on game day from stats to where's this restaurant to how do I do this, that. Um, so the idea of automations um, that chatbots can kind of get us close to, but large data sets like 22,000 people um, is prime for open AI. You know, the other thing is uh, just predictive recommendations, uh, itinerary. So the idea that Pete comes to his first game at City Park, we can tell you uh, based on the large data set of other fans, uh, where to park, where to enter, where to eat, uh, what merch you would like the most. So kind of those predictive recommendations, I think, can make game day uh, pretty sweet. Like a sort of ga- game day expert, game day co-pilot. Sort yeah, of genie, the right, digital assistant. Oh, very cool. Um, if you were going to pitch the app for next season, the elevator pitch for where it's going. The app 
for next year is uh, I, we, we have ambitions to be the best app in sport. And I think we're, we're, we're close, if not already there. And we, we really want to turbocharge. So um, I, I would say that the elevator pitch is a digital playground. Um, there's going to be lots of unlocks and badges and just a lot more. The base utility is already there. It's time to have some fun on it. Digital play. Uh, oh my god! You should you should have worked in advertising. Digital playground. What a line. Okay, um, let's talk about the stadium experience. Like uh, when I first joined the club, you said on a lot of occasions that you didn't want the stadium to be the last of the old. You wanted it to be the first of the new. Just explain that a little bit. It's it's just you know if you um, if you only look at what's common, um, you can expect common results and we didn't want to do that it's a big beautiful magnificent facility here and that meant um, investing in technology investing in partners investing in kind of things and people that are looking at the future and so uh, some of that is um, our work is never done and so season one has been great uh, we want to make uh, season two of, of this show even better so uh, that's what we mean by that is always always focus on the future always improving always innovating like first of the new though could you know you could have quite easily gone down the path of being like oh the the currency of the stadium is going to be crypto and you know then it blows up in your face um, yeah how do you how, how do you how are you strategic about what what the new is because you could make expensive errors trying to be too new is there like a balance between um maturity of technologies yeah i, I think you know first of the new one of the principles of that from the digital world to the physical world of the stadium is like meet fans where they are and so you look at the stadium and and we have you know we have frictionless markets uh so if you don't want to speak to another human and you want to get in get out as fast as you can you, you have that but we also have places of the stadium that have been intentionally designed where hospitality comes front and center and technology is nowhere to be seen. Um, so I think that is, that is um, the principle uh, across the board for us is really meet fans where they are. So um, if we look at a technology like crypto, um, we have a lot of different fans and different segments to appease. And so if it's a nuanced technology that only 10 people are going to care about, it's probably not for us. Um, so that's kind of how we're looking at the broad you know, innovation ecosystem. Okay, so are there any cool technologies that sort of underpin City that maybe people don't know about? Uh, just, I think one of the things like connectivity, um, you know, beyond a stadium, we're a, we're a 31 acre district. And so the idea that all of these buildings, training facility, our stadium, our team store, our headquarters, they are all interconnected by fiber. So our ability to share video files or set up watch parties across the district, full screen takeovers, is the only places doing that in the United States are SoFi Stadium and Disney World. And so to have- So we share the same pipes as SoFi and Disney World. The same kind of, the same design principles so that we can then take advantage of those things as we think about you know broadcast or hospitality parties on game day. It's a really, really unique environment we have here. You mentioned um, uh, first of the new and wins. Like, are there any wins that that you think are first of the new that are kind of unique to here? Even if it is like uh, the reapping of an old technology that people didn't really use. Like, what's what's really working with with this fan base? 
mobile order head has surprised us. Um, you know, it's again, we weren't, aren't the first to do it. Um, but if in most stadiums, it's less than 1% of, of ordering, it's just not used. Uh, standing in lines is just something for some reason we as sports fans just tolerate. Um, so for us to roll out mobile order head with, um, you know, a fan base that's highly engaged in our mobile app, um, it's over 20% of our sales here at the stadium, which is bonkers. Um, those types of numbers compete with some of those QSR brands I mentioned before, restaurant and retail brands. Um, so that's been really, really fun to see. Um, digital ticketing, you know, we're 100% digital ticketing, so that's been that's been really fun. Um, you know, the average uh, session time in our app is like 10 minutes, so people are getting in, they're watching and learning more about the club. Um, all of these technologies, I think we've been pleasantly surprised that you know, a, a place like St. Louis, uh, I think can have a lot of doubt about itself, about being early adopters to technology. Um, we haven't seen that at all. People are ready for it. Our ownership group um, was very keen to make sure the food experience like really reflected St. Louis. You know, I've sat in the room with Carolyn and she's told me stories about uh, people not really traveling outside <clears throat> their local area to eat. And there's a lot of great food. So how do you bring that to life? I know the food experience is one of your points of pride. Um, talk to me about why our food experience is the way it is and like what, what inspired the club outside, uh, you know, an ownership directive to take the path that we did. I think there's, you know, there's so many reasons. Food is uh, like soccer. It's international. It's communal. We do it together. And so food and soccer, I think, are... Uh, inextricably linked regardless. For us, you know, the, the way that St. Louis is divided up by neighborhoods, there's a lot of great food in, in pockets of St. Louis, but we have the same, you know, two or three restaurants that we go to every single time. And so the idea of City Park being a platform, um, a bit of a, that town square I mentioned, of a place where people could come and discover restaurants be impressed and then realize, oh my God, this, this is in my town. I can't believe it. And then want to venture there outside of their neighborhood of comfort on a non-game day. That was really the inspiration behind it. So we've been very deliberate about, you know, the, the restaurants that have been picked for city park. They're all across the region. They're east side, they're west side, they're north, south. They're, they range from Bosnian to barbecue, Senegalese, Italian. So um, there really is something for everybody here, but it's all about that moment of discovery and pride. Matt, I've been all around uh, the world. I've been to a lot of new stadiums. I've been to new stadiums in America. Nobody's doing this. Why? Oh, it's hard. <laughs> it is easy to serve pretzels, nachos, popcorn. And, you know, we certainly have, we have those options, but, um, to be able to build a place that, you know, a local restaurant and a, and a, and an, and an owner of these restaurants feel like they're opening a new location in a stadium is really hard. It's hard, you know, from equipment to their staff, to the technology that we serve up, making sure that, that's all taken care of so that they can focus on doing what they do well, which is serving delicious food and that none of those things get in the way of our fans. Um, to do it for a couple local restaurants is hard enough. To do it for you know, over 25 local partners here at City Park is, it is really hard, but because it, you know, it's so important, our you know, entire team is up for the task. How did you pick the 25? Uh, we asked our fans, uh, like most things. So, you know, a couple years ago before the stadium opened, uh, we announced that, you know, we were interested in bringing local 
partners into City Park as part of the food experience. And we asked fans to tell us their local favorites. And we had over uh, 10,000 submissions of people. Uh, 10,000. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And what's cool is that it, it wasn't it wasn't the cliche St. Louis favorites. It was really these neighborhood by neighborhood favorites that we've brought into the fold. So it's been pretty fun. Not a lot of good things happened um, out of the pandemic, but some good things allowed restaurants to thrive in City Park. Can you talk a little bit about how COVID allowed all of this to happen, really? Yeah, I think a lot of them got good at things like mobile order head and curbside pickup and um, how to be, you know, how to run with a, a lean staff and catering and on all of these things that, you know, for a restaurant owner or operator to only service their, their brick and mortar, the pandemic taught them to be really lean and flexible. So, being able to come in here um, and attack some of these technologies head on has has really prepared them well. So they're crushing it. Um, something that uh, I wanted to talk about um, our ownership group maybe don't um, you know they don't talk about this often, but we're going to put it on a podcast. Um, would you charge a local restaurant holder the same price as you would say a, a big famous fast food restaurant to be in the space? Like how how do they afford to be here? it is solely based it's revenue share. Um, so no buy-in price, there's no, you know, advertising or marketing agreement, which again is a, a unique thing. Uh, and so you know, ownership has got goes real by, skin in the game. Yeah, absolutely. So to say like, we're going to eliminate uh, pay to play, there's no franchise franchises like global franchises in our stadium. It's all hundred percent local pure rev share. Uh, so we have skin in the success. They have skin in the success. Um, I think is a super important aspect of it. The other pieces, you know, you may see local restaurants and other stadiums. A lot of times that is the stadium buying the right to use that name and then they're cooking the food in City Park. It is literally the restaurants in here running the front of the house, the back of the house. Um, so that's pretty cool to on game day to be able to roll up and see, you know, Steve Ewing from Steve's Hot Dogs or Lauren Knowledge, the, the chef at Balkan Treat Box. So they've become personalities of the game day experience. Yeah, did you expect to see them at every game? Because it does it does seem like the restaurant owners, a lot of them, are at every single game. They love it. They love it. I mean, they love the energy. They love fans coming by, getting selfies with the, you know, the chefs and, you know, to have have chefs be, you know, personalities of the game day experience at City Park is is pretty unique, but fans love it. Most Premier League football clubs get fans in 10 minutes before the game. You just told the, the story about Portland fans thinking the game kicked off yeah. early because so many fans were down here early. Um, was it um, was it a desire that if you've got all of these amazing restaurant owners in here that we needed to convince St. Louis City fans to come down here? Like, was that part of the the sort of vision that people would get down early and, and, and try a new restaurant every week? Yeah, I think it, you know, with soccer matches, you know, it's 90 minutes. There's not a lot of stoppages in play. It's a 15 minute halftime. So the opportunities to engage the fan base in the stadium are actually quite small. And it's, it's one of the things a lot of other soccer stadiums, both domestically and globally told us. And we wanted to, um, you know, again, the, the consultant in me is always asking, well, wh why is it that way? And what is the problem? And how do we get around that? Um, a lot of times it's just, there's not incentive pregame to show up. So we knew that while the food experience is something we wanted to anchor on, if, if the food was good enough to turn up for dinner here before a game, like that's exactly what we wanted to create. So, um, I think that's bit a 
built a bit of a ritual here that, um, you know, 7.30 kickoff, you're going to get here at 6.30, bring the whole family, eat a good good local meal, support support local restaurants. It's become part of the uh, the ritual here. How um, How is it going for the, the restaurant owners? I mean, you're obviously going to get, um, you get attrition in the first season. Um, doesn't always work out for everybody. Like what's the feedback from these local restaurateurs and should St. Louis City fans feel good um, about coming here early and, you know, spending their time with these restaurants? Yeah, I, I mean, um, every, they're all excited. Um, they're asking how to get more locations in the stadium. So, you know, I think for in the month of March, it was, you know, their eyes were wide open because, you know, some of these restaurants get, you know, they serve 9,000 people all year at their brick and mortar locations. And we're serving them up in a location where we've got 22,000 fans that could potentially want their food. So the scale that they're dealing with is like they've never seen. And so now that they've got um, a level of expectation set, they're excited about it, they're ready to go. Um, we just want to keep it fresh. Um, so we'll be adding restaurant partners all the time. That's part of being a reflection of culture and community. Uh, fans have suggested new up and coming restaurants that they would like to see in City Park. Um, we're asking even you know ones that will, will return next year uh, for their, their season two menu to always keep it fresh. So if you've had Balkan Treat Box here at the stadium, you should try this new menu item. So we're always going to keep it fun, fresh, and exciting. And it would be remiss of me not to mention Gerard Kraft, uh, our chief flavor <clears> officer. Um, we've seen him delivering pizzas to the supporters. <laughs> He's always around. He's a great personality. You know, he was a star in the food documentary that he did at the start of the year. Um, have you tied him to a new deal next year? Are we going to see Mr. Kraft back in the stadium? And is he helping... Uh, with season two of the of the of the food story, yeah, Gerard Gerard will be back. He loves it. Uh, I think we've converted him into a a passionate soccer fan too. Um, so yeah, I mean Gerard stays uh, in tune with all of the up and coming restaurants and chefs. So um, he's he's always integral in our success on the food side. Um, okay, so like summing summing this up, um, the fans of St. Louis have made the stadium like a destination this season. Um, everything seems to be going really well on the pitch, seems to be going well off the pitch. Like, what work are you putting in to to bottle this and make sure that the fans have an even better experience next season? Like, uh, are, are, are we looking to keep things the same, improve? Like, what, what's going on? Never the same, no. Oh, constant improvement. Again, uh, you know, uh, pain plus reflection equals progress. I think we uh, we haven't endured much pain. It's been a remarkable historic season. It's been so enjoyable, um, but we always want to improve. Uh, we always want to be a reflection of culture and community. So that means always improving. So always improving the app, always imp improving uh, our, our content and creative, always improving the stadium experience. Um, our pregame show, I think, is a, a hidden gem. We're going to, you know, continually uh, evolve that. So yeah, I think, you know, season one has been magical, but I think season two is going to be even better. And if fans see you in the stadium and they've got uh, an opinion or they've got an idea and they share it with you, are you open to, to listening to, to those fans that you see in and around on match day? Always. Good, bad and the ugly. Fantastic. So we have a little tradition on the City Voice podcast. Um, we end with a message to the fans who've been absolutely exceptional through the whole period um, that you've been at the club. I, I wondered if you have a, a message to sign off with. I mean, just, just thank you. It is unbelievable how um, we can put so much 
detail and craft into the comprehensive experience. But the fact that uh, when that whistle blows, it is all about the fans. And so much of our experience rides on their shoulders, their noise, the chant, the standing, the sitting, uh, everything in between. Uh, The fans have brought it and then some. It has exceeded my wildest expectations. So thank you. Matt, that was a brilliant podcast. I learned a lot about who you are. It's great to hear about your philosophies and uh, great to hear that City's always looking to improve. If you are listening to this podcast on Apple or Spotify, give us a five-star review. Tell Matt Seabet that was a really interesting podcast and you want him to come back on. And maybe he will uh, at the start of next season to give us a bit of insight into what's changing and what we can be excited about. Um, But on that note, thank you so much for coming on. That was great. Thanks for having me, Pete. Ciao for now, everybody.